How's everybody doing? Oh, yeah. I think we can pull some lights up in here. Everybody's in the dark back here. I can't see everybody. I like to see everybody. I can see Eric. That's about it. That's it. That's, which is good. I like to keep my eye on him. <laughs> oh, I got to stop. I'm going to be in trouble for that one. Man, I, I, worship was so great. I mean, I just, there's, it's been amazing, and not just because I, I, I lead here and I'm on staff here, but um, just to see the, the, just the progression of the heart of the people. Dave said it last week, of the people that lead worship here, um, what they want to, you to experience what they experience. They want to disappear and lead you beyond themselves into the presence of God. Just like any anchor in the church, like Dan was saying, this idea that we've experienced Jesus and we get to lead people you know, into that same experience. We're a part of that as we're experiencing Jesus. More and more people can. Um, but I was thinking about Gerald specifically, and I said this at students. I just, I don't know why it dawned on me how long I've been doing ministry with, with Gerald, who is up here uh, leading worship. And I asked one of the students at... Uh, at students this week when I was speaking, I said, you know, when, when you know, in 2009, how old were you? And a couple of them were like, I wasn't born. One was like one. And I was like, that's when I started doing this with Gerald, like leading worship together, me speaking, him leading worship. It's just been a long time. And getting to know, you know, just this process of getting to know each other and, and leading together. And I have to give him credit. Like we're starting a new series today. And I had an idea as I was on sabbatical. I had all these ideas swirl in my head and I can, I'm kind of creative brain um, tendency, and I had just all these high level, you know, and he just came in with, and he says, I, I, I know what you're trying to say, but this is probably it. And he came up with the simplest title. Sometimes it's the simplest one that's the, the one, the right one. He said, He is. And I was just like, Okay, perfect. That's it. I, I was like, It wrapped up everything I was trying to say. I was like, There was this idea of coming around. Uh, who he is, us understanding who he is. Just like I've had this relationship with Gerald over the years, um, for us, we want to know who God is. And there's a process for understanding who God is. Like today is all about he is God, which in your mind, you're like, okay, that's, you know, elementary, that's junior varsity. You know, if I've been in church for a while, I know that he is God when we're talking about Jesus. But when you think about, I mean, the, one of the questions I think you got to ask right, right in the beginning when you're talking about attributes of God or he, all the things that he is, he is hope for the hopeless, he is rest for the weary, he is our redemption, he is our righteousness, he is the sin forgiver, he is the one that is a part of the great exchange where we get to give away our sin and, and we receive his righteousness. He is a lot of things. He is sovereign on high. He is the eye of the storm. He is the one that changes everything. I mean, there's so many things that we could say about who Jesus is. But when we start at the high level where he is God, you think about getting to know any human being, just a person, you know, who are the types of people that you, you need to know about them? Like I was thinking about, like when I need to know somebody, like in what situations and scenarios do I want to know somebody? Like I want to, I want to know, I know I need to know details. Throw them out here. It's interactive this morning. Anybody like what's when you need help? Yeah, when you need help, that's a good one. I'm thinking of specific, like some two specific ones. I want to see if you get them. Like, I need to know this. Like, I, and, I, and I can do some investigation and find out a little bit, you know. When you're hiring somebody, I think I heard somewhere. When you're hiring somebody, you need to know, right? If they can do the job. And what, what's another one? I need to know. Like, I want to know up front a little bit about this person. 
Dating, come on, I was, I was like, that should have been like number one, dating in a marriage, I wanna know them. Uh, but I was thinking about those two situations, like, and when you're hiring somebody, what is it? It's, you're gonna do some investigation up front, you're gonna look at the resume, you're gonna find some information, and then you're gonna move on to what? References, you know, does anybody vouch for this person? Um, and, and by the way, people send me, like, I've, it's so funny, as a pastor, you get all the character reference deals, and I just want to let you know, I fill those out honestly. Uh, I don't give out a bunch of nines and tens. If you are a dirtbag, I write dirtbag on the deal and send it back. Um, maybe I'm just trying to make people send less of those in. Um, uh, but go ahead and send it to me. I'll write dirtbag and send it. Um, but I, the, you get references. And then it's the who you know. Like, I think that's the way people get jobs in, you know, in you know, the last you know, 50 years. It's like when you know somebody. So it's like, does anybody know this person that I trust that can give me some information? That's all the investigation side, right? And, 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 and with dating, it's... It's almost the same thing now. It's like there's no, there's no blind dates anymore unless it was like Happy Days and Richie Cunningham. I mean, it's like, and most of you don't even remember that. It's like, you know, he, Ron Howard was a director. I know he was a guy named Richie on Happy Days. Uh, but blind dates are of the past. I don't, I don't care, Mac. Internet dating's no longer taboo. A lot of people internet date, and it's awesome. I think it's a, it's a, it's a viable option. Um, but, I mean, we still, whether you internet date or not, you internet date. Right? I mean, there's nobody on the planet that isn't Facebook stalking somebody before they go out with them. Like they found out, hey, I got a friend that's doing whatever. We're going to meet him, you know, at the whatever place to have dinner. And I mean, what are you going to do? Let's see, you know, going to look and they're going to have the MySpace angle, you know? I don't know. Does anybody remember like the MySpace angle? Everybody's like emo. It's like, I'm going to look 300 pounds less than I really am right here in this angle. Um, you're going to look through all their pictures, you're going to go on Facebook, see what they do, what they're kind of, oh, that, they're weird, I'm not showing up to dinner. And we go through that. I mean, there is no, you know, in, back in my day, there was none of that. Like there was, I mean, how did you do it? It was like you had friends and you're like, I need to send spies into the land. You go and you find out exactly if it is the land of milk and honey. And you find out through your friends who they are and what they're about. And usually they don't go directly to them. Who do they go to? They go to their friends and say, hey, my friends, it's like your friend. And, you know, we're dating. It's kind of like, you know, you like them. They like, you know, he kind of likes her. And that's the thing. And that's how you find out and do the investigation. But eventually you have to get to the place of what? The reveal, like I'm gonna have to have a personal encounter with this person. There's gonna be the reveal. There's gonna be a revelation of whether or not they're good. And in the job, it's like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna have the 90-day review because I'm gonna have to have some personal experience with this person or the six-month review and see how well they do. I remember I was talking to Darren Vinger the other day. We had a guy on paper, the dude was it. Like he was computer science and engineering. I used to work in the software business. Had, had the degree, had the pedigree. We knew people that knew him. And so we hired him and he was a horrible systems analyst. Like he just, hey, you could tell he hated his job and just would go into the, come into the office just nervous every day and did his thing. And I just have to sit down with him at that point and go, you hate this and you're terrible at it. You probably should find something else to do. But that's after the what? The reveal. That's the, the, the revelation. And it's the same thing. I mean, dating, same thing. It's like, hey, they were good on paper, but... Uh, you know, you show up and all of a sudden, that picture just doesn't, there's a, like a gap year there somewhere between the picture and you, 25 or so years, I don't know. Um, it, there's just the revelation. So you can't just have investigation. You, you have to have, on top of that, you've got to have revelation. And that takes, and sometimes that takes some time. Like people, Beth and I do premarital counseling and a lot, I mean, they, 
the couples, you know, I've probably married over 25 people over the years. And they all come in thinking they know each other. I mean, then it's, which is funny. I've been married 25 years. So it's not like I know everything, but I do know when a couple comes in that's been engaged and they think they know each other that they have no idea what they're talking about. Um, I just want to tell the girl, I'm like, you don't know him. You have no idea. You've seen rose petals. He smells good. He does all the stuff. He's, you got a couple years of him, you know, he's going to be fat watching ESPN and farting, <laughs> you know. I'm kidding. I'm, painting, I'm cynical. I'm painting a bad picture. No, it can be wonderful and beautiful, but you don't know him. There's got to be a little bit more time for the reveal, for the revelation. And I'm thinking about what, what's the, the sum total of that in, in, a, in a relationship. You know, as we think about who God is and understanding and knowing who he is, like really knowing him, not just who he is on paper, but the, the revelation of who he is, because you have to get to the point like I've gotten with Gerald and my wife and some of my deepest and closest friends where I can advocate for them. I can advocate for Gerald. I've got a personal, I can, I have no problem telling people who he is, what I think he's amazing at and what he can do out in the world. And, and it's the same thing with relationships that you have. I mean, there's people in your life, I can advocate for them, but not only that, I can trust them. I've got a group of people that I know that not, not only do I know them on paper, but I've experienced them over time. I've had a revelation of them that I can call them at three o'clock in the morning if I've got a problem. And I'm like, dude, I got a body, we got to bury it. They'll come, I'm kidding, just trying to keep you awake. But... You've got things along the way where you, you, you trust them. Not only can I advocate for them, but I trust them. I know that they're faithful. They are, they, they, they are worthy of standing on this relationship. And the, the issues I think we have and the tension I think in the room when you have a title that says he is God, there's a lot of people that are like, I know God. And I know that he is God. I know Jesus is God. I don't have a problem with that. I went to school. I did the Bible sword drills. I went to a Christian school or I went to, to, to church growing up. And you know, I know Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I, mean, I know the, the New Testament books of the Bible. I know the gospels. I've heard all of the stuff. I know, I know that he is God. I've, I believe all of the stuff. I've been in these places. I've talked to my, my parents, brought me up in the church. I know all of the stuff. But the problem is, is there's a lot of people in the room. There's a lot of people in the church. There's a lot of people in Christian, quote unquote, circles that have not had a revelation. They've investigated and they've gone through the investigation process and they've been in that place for a long time, but there's been no revelation. And I do think there's people that believe that they've had a revelation and they've done no investigation. That's a whole nother issue and a whole nother problem. You can't have one without the other. They work together. They are kind of this process that, that God puts together for us using the word of God, using the world around you, like we sang today, like we see the world around us and we can see God's fingerprint in everything that we encounter and we can experience. But if your faith's dry, I think... You got to think, do, how do, what do I when, I, when I, when I hear the words, he is God, do I really believe it? Do I, I might believe it on paper. I might have, that's my, might be the kind of the cultural thing I've done my whole life, but do I really believe it? If, if I'm in the middle of a crisis and all of a sudden I'm hitting the eject button on my faith, maybe all I had was investigation and I had no revelation. Because if we're hitting the eject button on our faith, at the, at the moment that crisis comes in our life, believing what, where is God, why is he doing what he's doing, he must not be who he says he is, then maybe there's something along the way. And the idea in this series is that we would, 
we would take these statements, these he is statements, that he is the hope for the hopeless. He is, number one, God. And we move into this place of not only who he is in knowing him, but knowing the implications of knowing him and how amazing that could be for us here on this side of heaven. And then we could confidently advocate like we can for other human beings who he is to the world. If we're, we're gonna call and invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace, we wanna be able to confidently advocate who he is to the rest of the world. And the reality is, is evangelism, is, as many people are in church, people taking the, what they hear in church, taking the, the gospel that's in their soul that's been revealed to them out to the rest of the world, we're not awesome at it, me, and, me, me included. So, and it starts right here with our confidence of understanding that he is God. If you got your Bible, Matthew chapter 16. We'll be starting there this morning and digging through this idea of investigation and revelation. And Jesus, if you look at the Gospels, just to kind of set us up as you turn into to, to Matthew, if you look at the Gospels, in each one of them, there's this transition as you see that the life of Christ. You see it really good in the Gospel of John where He's not really fully revealing. It's kind of mysterious and the disciples are always scratching their head and they're confused about who he is. He says kind of weird things about being the bread of life and doing some other things. And, and he's, he gets, and then he finally gets in this section, you know, and in John like 13, 14, and 15, he's getting pretty emphatic. You know, I and the Father are one. And he, he has these statements along the way where people, I am the light of the world, where people are starting to, to see he's, he's calling himself God. And for some people, they were absolutely believing it because they'd seen him do miracles. And for the people that were God people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, they were screaming, what? Blasphemy. We, we got to take this guy out. You can't just cruise around saying that you're God. Matthew chapter 16, we're in that borderline area of where Jesus is beginning to reveal who he is. And he's doing it in a timing pattern because he knows when his time has come to go to the cross. If he does it too soon, he doesn't want to be drug off and and uh, arrested before his time. So Matthew 16, verse 13, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? It's a question for today. Who do people say? They replied, some say John the Baptist, good old JTB. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So they're, they're, they're saying, this is what people are saying, that you're a pretty big deal. He says, but what about you? Asking the disciples, he asked. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Who does Max McLean say? I heard somebody on the Bible app. He's the guy, the narrator, if you didn't know. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And for many of us, maybe our response would be, he's the son of God and he is God himself, but but how do we know that? I mean, I think we have to start with the extra biblical investigation. If you're not a believer, if, you, if you're wondering, and all of us should know this. Like this should be one of those things that we, it's not just like, oh, that's for the preachers to know. I know he's God. I grew up in the church. I believe he's God. There's something in my little heart place that tells me that he is God, but I don't really have any investigative proof. I don't have any, I've really never done any apologetics. I've never, I've never looked into, but Here's, here's some facts that we have historically that are extra biblical that you can read in the, the works of Tacitus, the works of Josephus. These are historians that weren't considered Christians that had much to say about things that they, they saw historically and they experienced historically that align with the Gospels. 
that Jesus was on the planet, lived. He was a human being, lived for around 33 years. His ministry started in those last three and a half years. And he walked on planet Earth. There's more evidence historically for Jesus' existence than Julius Caesar. And he walked around and he, he, people didn't even know or think he was much of anything until those last three and a half years, but then he did some amazing things. Fact, those things are historical. Josephus would say, yes, he did some amazing things. He was a, just a wise person, said some amazing things, but stirred up lots of controversy to the point that he was crucified on Golgotha, a hill that was considered a garbage dump. Fact, these are things that are not just in scripture. That he was buried in the tomb of a prominent man. Joseph of Arimathea, that they put a 2,000 to 4,000 pound stone in front of the tomb. These things are extra biblical. These things are not just in the gospels. They are in history. Historically, they put Roman soldiers there to guard because they did not want people to tell a story of resurrection. They did not want some revolt. Pilate, their boy, had just been a part of crucifying this guy that a lot of people liked, a lot of people disliked, and they didn't want some sort of uprising. There was talk of a resurrection, so they put guards at the tomb. And they wanted to make sure, why did they put guards at the tomb? And all this is extra biblical is they, they didn't want anybody to, to, to all of a sudden say that he rose from the dead. So they're like, we want to know where his bones are. So if anybody says he was resurrected, we could go get the bones and say, no, he wasn't. He's here in the tomb. Also historical is that they ha- the, the, there is no bones. That they don't, have any, they don't have any record of finding any bones or any type of record of where Jesus ended up, we, they, there's, a, there's an idea of where the tomb is, but there, there's no bones. Extra biblical, it's outside of the Bible, it's in history. You've got nine or uh, 11 of the 12 disciples went to their death carrying the name of Jesus, moving the, the, the banner of Christianity, amplifying faith. I mean, this is, these are just facts outside the Bible. 11 of the 12. The 12th was John, and John was carrying the gospel so much that they wanted to shut him down. They tried to kill him. What we know outside of biblical history is they tried to boil him in oil, and they couldn't. For whatever reason, they got the oil hot, and he kept bobbing up out of the oil, saying, praise Jesus. And they said, what are we gonna do with this guy because it's making it worse? So they took him out of the oil, and they put him on the island of Patmos. I mean, we've got all of this extra biblical information. And what, what do we know? I mean, there's been more books written about Jesus, more paintings painted of Jesus, more movies made about Jesus than anyone in history. And we're sitting in this room today carrying the name of Jesus over 2,000 years later. It's interesting if you look at Acts chapter five, Gamaliel, the kind of the, the wise leader that you hear about in that particular chapter, you hear about him a couple times in scripture. Everybody trusted this guy. Everybody thought this guy, if, if he says something, then we're all going to lean in and listen. And in Acts chapter five, the movement of Christianity had exploded. Another fact outside of biblical history, you can read Tacitus. Tacitus will say something happened in Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost where this, this religion, this thing, this movement, this Jesus movement exploded in Jerusalem. And it didn't just explode in Jerusalem. It ended up expanding all over the Roman Empire. And in Acts chapter five, the the religious leaders and the political leaders are saying, we need to take all of these guys down. Jesus has, has, has gone. He spent 40 days on planet earth after his resurrection. Over 500 people witnessed him at one time. And then he ascended. He was gone. And then all of a sudden, the explosion of the gospel on the scene with Peter's first sermon and the day of Pentecost, tongues of fire, all that stuff. 
You've got the church going from 3,000, 5,000 to 25,000. And at this point, all these leaders are like, we got to arrest. They'd already arrested them once and let them go. So they've got, they've got John, they've got Peter arrested and they're like trying to shut them down and they're telling them, you can't say these things anymore. And they're like, we can't help but, but, but talk about what we know is true, that Jesus is alive from the dead. So they're like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And this guy Gamaliel finally just says, hey, I just wanna let you know you're about to kill these two guys. You need to slow your roll. He said, look, we've had all of these different leaders over the years and he cites different leaders. He says, this guy, everybody thought he is going to start this revolution. Everybody's going to follow him. He had, you know, four or 500 guys following him. Guess what? He came and went. This guy over here, he did the same thing. He got killed. He's gone. Nobody even remembers their name. These big movements that we're always nervous about, they come and they go because they're human movements. Human leaders come and go. Human uprisings and revolutions, they come and they go. So let's just wait and watch this thing die out. But he says one more thing. He says, but if this is really from God, you're not going to be able to stop these men. And it's interesting that we do sit in rooms like we're sitting in today and looking at the span of history. We even look at our own timetable and realize, isn't it interesting that Jesus' birth split history? I mean, people like to not say it anymore. I mean, if you go into schools, it's BCE and everybody's got different names for it. But it's Jesus' birth, split history. So you can do the investigation. You can, you, can, you can dive in deep that Jesus lived on planet Earth. I mean, there's just no, nobody's going to refute that. Christian or non-Christian, you can come, come in and say that, but you can go into history, there's more evidence that he walked planet Earth than anything else. But that doesn't get to the real question. He walked on planet Earth, but who was he? Was he God? I mean, if we're talking about he is God today, was he God? Well, the first thing that we got to look at beyond the investigation is we got to dig into what did Jesus say about himself? What did Jesus say about himself? Because who he is and who he cannot be are very clear as we look at the Gospels. He can't just be a good man, which a lot of people claim. Richard Dawkins is an atheist, very smart. This is what he says about Jesus. He says, Jesus was a great moral teacher, but somebody as intelligent as Jesus would have been an atheist. Now, what Richard Dawkins isn't thinking in, in this statement, and I'm not trying to, to downplay his intellect, but there's some things in investigation that he obviously hasn't looked into. Because Jesus could not just be a good moral teacher. There's no way he could be a good moral teacher. And why is that? Because of what he said about himself. There's something called the trilemma, and there's several theologians have talked about the trilemma. It's the Lord, lunatic, or the, the liar, lunatic, or Lord. Like, there, there's, there's no way, you can't call him just a good man. Most people on planet Earth that are not Christians, and you ask them, what do you think about Jesus? Most people would say, that don't believe that he's the son of God, and don't believe that he is God, would say that he is a good teacher. He was a good, they would put him on the level of a Gandhi. They would put him in that kind of, he was, a, he was a prophet. He was a good teacher. He did some amazing things. We should follow his teaching. We should read the red letters in the Bible as a good moral teaching, kind of like Thomas Jefferson. He cut out all the supernatural stuff and he left all of the kind of principle stuff. He's just a good teacher. He's a good moral teacher. But if you look at the, in, in every portion of the gospels where Jesus talked about himself, his self-proclamation. He says in, in uh, John 10, 27, he says, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them 
and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Now, does that sound like just a good moral teacher? He's talking about, I give people eternal, eternal life. It's starting to sound a little crazy now. And they shall never perish. What? No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father, who's your father? Has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand and I and the father are one. And as you continue through John, John 10, John 11, John 12, you start moving through there, you realize Jesus makes it abundantly clear that him and the father are one. When, you, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. I am the vine and you are the branches. He equates himself to God. As we look at the apostle Paul and his proclamation of who Jesus is, what does he say in Colossians 1? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is it. He's the active force in creation. All things were created by him and for him. So as we sang that song and all of the things that God did, the things that, that were breathed into existence, Jesus was the active force in creation. As we look at scripture, Jesus' self-proclamation, and then as we look beyond even the gospels into the epistles, the proclamation of all of these guys that talked about Jesus, we're saying he is, he is God. He's God. It's why they wanted to stone him. It's why, if you're wondering why he was crucified, which is historical, this is extra biblical, he was crucified because he said he was God. So that puts us in the position of going, okay, we cannot say that he was just a good teacher. I love adding a little bit of, you know, not that, you know, C.S. Lewis isn't good enough. Some of the theologians like Spurgeon along the way. I always like to bring in somebody like Bono because that always adds a little bit of credibility to the scene. So let's hear what Bono has to say about Jesus. Scriptures for poetic truth, um, as well as the sort of historical stuff I'm, I'm, I'm in, interested in. And of course, there was a hyster historical Jesus. No, I'm talking about God. Oh, right. And, and do well, you, I see, and, I, the, the person of Christ is my way to understand uh, God. Do you pray? Yes. To whom or what do you pray? To and Christ. Way? To Christ. Yeah. And, and what do you pray for? I pray to get to know um, <laughs> the will of God, because then the prayers have more chance of coming true. I mean, that's the thing about prayer, isn't it? I mean, we don't do it in a very lofty way in our family. There's just a bunch of us on the bed, usually. We have a very big bed in our house. And all our, we've prayed with all our kids. We, we you know, we just, we, we read the scriptures, we pray. It's not even regular. Sometimes if we go to church on a Sunday, we go when the church has ended and we'll just go in on our own as a family. For peace and quiet. For peace and quiet. And we'll pray, usually about people that we know who are struggling with something, um, illness so, so, or so whatever. So then, what or who was Jesus as far as you're concerned? I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian, is who was Christ. And, and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or, a, a, you know, because actually he went round saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God or he was not. No, no, nuts. Nuts, yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic <laughs> complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson-type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that... 
all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years, have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, so I think, therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes, yeah, I'm into, uh, I have no problem with miracles. <laughs> I'm living around them. I am one. So, so when you pray then, you pray to Jesus. Yes. The risen Jesus. Yes. And you believe that he made promises which will come true. Yes. I do. I love it. Do you love it? Now we all believe because Bono said it. You know? Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's, it's so good. But he, he really wraps our heart around the trilemma. I think, you know, we can talk about it theologically, but um, to see, and for the young kids, Bono, prolific band that you probably haven't heard of, you uh, too. Uh, he's the lead singer. Um, so we've got, we've got investigation. We've got this self-proclamation that, that we see in, in uh, Scripture. But I think, like I said in the beginning, on paper, that's great. And I think a lot of us have ex experienced, you know, what it, what it means to, to know God on paper. But what's interesting is we look back at Matthew 16, there has to be a revelation. And that revelation comes from God. But we take part in that revelation. Matthew 16, 15, God continues. He says, what, what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And who speaks up but Simon Peter? He answers and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the one. So, so Peter has been around Jesus enough. He's, he's starting to realize, he's starting to wake up that, hey, they, they say that you're the prophet Elijah. They say that you're John the Baptist. That's what they say, but this is what I say. They say that you are this person, but this is what I say. They say this, but I say that you are the son of God. You are the ones the prophets have talked about. You are the ones that Jeremiah talked about. You are the ones that Isaiah was leading us to. You are the light of the world. In Isaiah chapter nine, you are the one that was gonna come and change things and change the trajectory of history. You are the one. You are the Messiah. You are the one that is going to save us. You are the savior of the world. This is what they say, but this is what... I say, and I love Jesus' response in verse 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Judah. But listen to this. I never quite caught this, but what does he say? He says, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. You didn't come, you didn't just investigate along the way. You didn't just read something and deduce in your human power who I am. That's, in other words, that, that wouldn't have been good enough. Jesus realizes, talking to Simon Peter, revelation has happened. Not just investigation, not just you've seen me do some things from a distance, but there's been a revelation. This wasn't just revealed to you by your brain, by flesh and blood, but by what? But by my Father in heaven. And he goes on and says, because of that, because of this revelation, now you're ready. You are Peter. So you're no longer Simon, you're Peter, which means the rock. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Love that. Church isn't going anywhere. COVID ain't taking out the church, people. I will give you the keys 
of the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, hey, the keys of death and Hades that, we, that, that Jesus speaks of in Revelation, I'm going to go down and I will snatch these keys. I will defeat death. And he does defeat death. He takes the keys of death and Hades and he leads the captives out of condemnation and out of, out of hell. And he says, you're gonna be the one carrying these keys to the rest of the world. You are going to build this church. But it's because not only had he investigated, but there was a revelation. Now Peter was on the cusp of being an advocate. Of, as it says in Ephesians, this idea of awake, O sleeper. The light of Christ shine on you. And you can do something incredible at that point once that revelation has happened. We need a revelation. It can't just be investigation. And I think the problem is, is I think some some of us are, are in this space where we, we've got it all up here and we've been in that place for a long time, but we've not experienced. This is where people get weirded out. They're like, oh, this is one of those churches. You know, it's experiential. You know, it's gonna be about the experience. Yes, we need to know the word of God. And I believe that the word of God is where revelation comes from. I mean, I believe that revelation can come from the reading of the word of God. I mean, there's so many stories of the Holy Spirit working through the reading of the word of God and growing in your knowledge of who God is. I'm not saying one without the other. I'm saying investigation and revelation have to happen, but revelation does need to happen. And revelation isn't just me waiting and going, okay, if it is from God, Peter got it and it wasn't from my own flesh and blood that I'm just gonna sit and wait at home watching ESPN and just God, every once in a while, I love a revelation, so I kind of not kind of know it, but really know it. John Piper says that when the Holy Spirit comes and changes things, when we have an experience with the Holy Spirit, when there's a true revelation, like I didn't just read about God, but there was a sense of God in the room. There was a sense of God in my life. There was a revelation where something happened. He talks about the, this experience that you see in scripture. He says, one of the problems in the evangelical world is we can equate our salvation with an unconscious work where we don't know that anything really happened other than the fact that somebody that led us to Christ told us, you now have the Holy Spirit, you, something has happened, and now you're a Christian. Go about your life. He says, but what we see in the New Testament is they go from investigation, they go from knowing and experiencing Jesus from a distance to an experience of God, a revelation in which no doubt hits their life. And for me, I, I, I knew about Jesus. I went to a Christian school for 15 years, grew up in church, said the prayer, you know, probably once when I was five, probably again when I was 12 because I felt guilty at a youth service. And then probably again when I was 13 at the same youth service because the guy was really good and I had to go forward. But not until I was around 29, 30, did I really have a revelation where, where from, from the tip of my toes to the top of my head, all of a sudden I believed I believed it and to the point where I wanted to advocate for who God was. I, 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 I believed that he was the firm foundation under my feet. I trusted him. Not that there's no struggle and trust along the way, but something changed in that revelation. Something has got to change along the way. And sometimes there's a step and a movement forward for us that we have to take in that revelation process. You know, I was speaking to students on Wednesday night and I'll just tell you right now, something going, going off in students I think there was like 65 people there and there was probably 50 plus students at students this week. I mean, I look around the room, I'm like, we got that right here. I mean, they're gonna outrun us. 
I mean, it's amazing to watch what's happening there and the, just to watch them worship and them, the, their belief in, in what's possible for them in the, the minefield that they're walking into as teenagers and walking through the, 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 their doors at Fletcher or Ponte Vedra High or Nice High School, it's, it's hard. And they're like, I need something. And they're starting to realize and wake up, I need the firm foundation. I need Jesus and I need a revelation. I need to believe with everything that I have. And it's happening there. And I was you know, just kind of you know, coming around the, the, the close of my talk. And I was thinking about this idea of what, what do we have to do and what do we not want to happen in our lives at the end of our lives and realize that this is kind of, we, we missed it. And I, I told this short story about you know, skateboarding in Tallahassee. It's, it's hilly in Tallahassee. I don't know if you've ever been there. God's country. Not right now, actually. Um, you know, Bobby Bowden, rest your soul. Um, but it's very hilly. And, uh, you know, back in my skateboarding days, I used to skateboard down this huge hill, Thomasville Road, four-lane highway, 45 miles an hour. It was the dumbest thing. But I, we used to luge. Anybody know what luge is? It's, it's, it's in the Olympics. We would lay on our skateboards and down this hill at 900 miles an hour. And it was, there'd be like seven of us and people would be just watching us, you know, it was just dumb. But we'd do it and we'd go to the singing store, which is like the Circle K, get candy. And then we'd walk around the back of our neighborhood. It would take forever to get back home, walk up this enormous hill because it's silly in Tallahassee and I lived at the top of the hill and hang out and eat our candy. Well, it rains every day in Tallahassee in the summertime. And we were going down there one time and it was pouring down rain and rode down the hill and we're like all wet, get down to the bottom go in and get candy. And we see this massive drainage ditch that's just swirling. It's like 40 feet down and there's tons of water swirling around. And we see it's like, it's in one of those open drains where every once in a while you see the big drain with the gate in front of it. And, and it continues. We fo basically followed the drain all the way home. And we're like, all the gates, there's no gates on the drain thing. And it's massive. And it's like, a, it's, a, it's a rushing river. And it's, it ends, kind of ends towards this spot at the back of my neighborhood. And we're like, that's kind of cool. Maybe next time it rains, we, we can ride that river all the way home. It's the dumbest thing ever I've done in my life. Actually not. There's some dumber ones, but this, is, this goes up there. So the next time it poured, which is like every day, like, you know, frog strangler, like a big rain, we grabbed inner tubes and luged down Thomas. Could you imagine if you're driving down Thomas Road, like seven guys with inner tubes laying down on skateboards. One of my friends caught his tube on the thing and he was like a human scab. He didn't make it, but we kept going. We got down to the bottom of the hill and the water had risen, that 40 foot kind of where it all started had risen up to like 10 feet. So we're like, we're gonna be able to get in this thing. And first guy, we look at it, it took us a while. You're looking, you're like, is that a hypodermic needle? I don't know what that is in there. But you don't think, Muddy River, this is the dumbest thing ever. You could die. Like, if you just don't ever do this on the stream, good gosh, if a child's watching, don't do this. But we were like, there's no way. This is amazing. So the first guy goes, and we're all kind of nervous. We see him take off. We're like, dude, that looks so dangerous, and we have to do it. So we all start getting in, grabbing our skateboards and tubing. And we get, I mean, we're going through the first little thing and ooching through the first little drainage hole. And we're, I mean, flying. And we all of a sudden, we look back, and there's one guy. One guy, I remember his name, Jamie Guy, if you ever watched the stream, it was you, I remember, I felt bad. We looked back and it was the saddest thing I've ever seen. He was just standing there with his tube and his skateboard. And it was like, he, we had gotten too far to where he's like, I don't wanna go now because I'll be going by myself. And he stood there because he's like, this is dumb, which it was, it was very dumb. But then all of a sudden he regretted every bit of it. Like he was on the banks 
and he never really stepped in. It was dangerous. It was messy. It was filthy. It was just, it was, but he was sitting there and his face, I'll never forget it. I can see it right now. He was so sad. He felt like I've made a huge mistake staying in the safe place on the banks of this muddy river. And I just think in our relationship with Jesus, we, we often stay on the safe spot. And I think we talk about revelation and talk about experiencing God. And that seems like the thing that we're like, uh, is that theologically correct? You know, we start getting in weird places. And I'm telling you, the way of following Jesus is not safe. It's good, but it can be messy. It's gonna lead you somewhere. It's gonna be the best adventure of your life. It is gonna absolutely be the thing that you were made and built for. You will know that you are in the lane that you're supposed to be in. But there's a moment in order for us to find revelation, to be in that place of experiencing God and knowing him so that we can be advocates, so that we can trust him when times are difficult, so we know that we're standing on the faithful ground in the middle of the storm. We have to know him. We can't be on the the banks of the river in the investigation zone. I want to know Jesus and where he is. And guess where he is? He's in the mighty, rushing, muddy river, the messy places of planet Earth, where he's ministering to people, where he's carrying the gospel to people. But for us, we're back here, sad, holding our skateboard on our tube, wishing, got everything I need right here to step in. We need revelation. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what revelation for you. It's, I think it's different. For everybody in here, it, it means repentance, which is hard for people because pride gets in the way of that. I have to repent in the very beginning of my lack of faith of my pride, repenting of my pride. I think there's people that maybe intellect is the way that you see God and the way that you experience God, which is fine, but you, are, you push God at a distance and say, there's no way to really experience God. I don't really want to have feelings or emotions about God. I don't see God as a person. I see God more distant. The idea of Jesus, I see it more historically. I believe it. I've put my faith in Jesus. I've accepted Jesus. I know that he died on the cross. I believe all the stuff, but I, this idea of having a relationship, I've never put myself in that position. I've never wanted to experience the power of God revealed to me. And I'm telling you, God wants us to, to take steps towards that to get in the river, to move. You see that all through scripture. You see the the worship leaders as as they were leading the Israelites across the Jordan and moving closer and closer to the promised land. What does God tell the priest? He says, just step, just take one step in the river and the river parted. So I I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you're mad right now at God because of the situation, the circumstance that you're in. You don't believe, you, you, you might believe that he is God, but you're, you're, you're so frustrated because of the circumstance that you're in. You're so hurt because God's not coming through for you. And all God wants to speak to you is just step in with me, just step in. I, I'm, I'm in it with you. That river, it is not safe. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's not like I accept Jesus and I accept the idea of, wanting revelation and it's going to be easy. Rainbows and lollipops from here on out. That would be the worst theology ever. So it's a raging, rushing river. 
but he is good and he is with you. And that's where he is. He's, Jesus isn't on the banks in safe land. Look at the cross. Never played it safe. So what is it for you? Like we're getting ready to have ministry here in a minute. And I love ministry because it's one of those things that I think there's a, there's a nervous thing about the surrender and maybe the pride swallowing siege of coming forward at a church service and feeling like, oh, that's the altar call thing. And you hold your hands out and you close your eyes and you do your thing. And that's those people. And I don't need that. Or I'm not in that space yet. Or I'm not. But sometimes there's a barrier. And I'm not seeing everybody has to come forward for ministry every week. I think there's somebody in the room that that's been the thing that's like, I don't know about all that. I like the church, but I'm not. And I'm telling you right now, I've, I've seen that this is the space for revelation many times. It's the six steps you walk from your seat where you're drinking a latte and you've attended church for a while to, you know what, I, wanna, I need a revelation from God. And sometimes it happens when the, the pressure cooker's on and life's falling apart, but sometimes it just needs to happen right now in the mundane of life. And you need a revelation more now than ever. And we say every week, like if you need healing spiritually, physically, emotionally, come forward, get prayer. But I think this space for me has been over the years, a place of revelation where I needed again and again, an intimate time where I closed my eyes, I held out my hands. And I'm like, I need to know you. I need to, I need to, I need to experience you. I need to I need the words spoken over me of scripture. It's this crazy blend of happening corporately with people around you, but you're also right there. It's just you and God and what everybody else thinks doesn't matter. So let's, let's just stand. Let's just, even, even now, this is, as Gerald sings and as we, as we worship, ministry starts now. Like we, let God breathe into your soul as you sing these words, as you stand in his presence. Maybe you'll want to, maybe you'll want to just hold out your hands. Maybe they'll end up here. Let's just do that. I mean, let's, we can do it together. It makes it safe when everybody has to do it. I'm making you do it. Just hold, let's just hold out our hands. Just close our eyes. This is just us in a posture saying, I, Jesus, I need you. I need a revelation. I need a revelation. Just come, Holy Spirit. Just lead us. I lead our heart to reach out to you. To sing with all we have. Sacrifice our pride to repent in our heart and in our mind. Just come, Holy Spirit.